0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States And in Zambia, with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's word together, verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I, are both listening to Through the Bible podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So, if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So, if you have your Bible, feel free to read along, and if not, no problem, we'll put it all together for you. So, let's get started. And oh, by the way, if you want to drop us a line or even send us a voicemail, uh, we're on Twitter. Uh, at Eternity Bible Study Podcast. If you find us on Twitter, um, you can record um, a voice uh, message to us. We'd love to hear your voice too and uh, perhaps even include it on the podcast. Uh, Also, we are uh, praying for our friend Julie who's recovering from cancer and also our friend uh, Tanisha whose sister is also uh, battling cancer. So, uh, we are at um, uh, this section through Isaiah, this incredible uh, uh, book of the Bible. You know, you think about Matthew, Mark, and John, Luke, and John as sort of these superstars, you know, in the Bible. They're so famous. But what about Isaiah? Isaiah's got just a tremendous study, too. And there are so many references to Jesus Christ the prophecy of Jesus Christ, referencing um, what the gospel message is going to do that Jesus Christ does, uh, just like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John do. But it gives us a, a perspective of that gospel message of Jesus Christ from the perspective of the gospel and from the perspective of Jesus Christ. We get a perspective and an insight of Jesus Christ that we don't even get in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is so amazing. We get this perspective of Jesus Christ on the cross from the perspective of Jesus Christ on the cross. You know, you always ask yourself when you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I wonder what must be going through his mind. Well, in Isaiah, you get it. You've, you've, you get that inner mind of Jesus Christ on the cross. So God is working out his plan In the nation of Israel, and we see that God is calling um, on this nation to repent, He is actually having this whole nation act out His gospel message and in the beginnings of isaiah we get this prophecy like the people need to repent and then we we get this prophecy that the northern kingdom's going <clears> to <throat> be taken into captivity by the assyrians and the southern kingdom's going to be taken into captivity by the babylonians but all through this we get this promise that god is going to keep his promise and that god is going to allow the nation to come back together to be reunited But at the same time, he is working out his plan to root out the wicked people from his kingdom. Just like Adam and Eve had to be sent away from the Garden of Eden to be cast out of his presence, he is also mirroring what happened in the Garden of Eden with the nation of Israel. He's having to cast out the nation of Israel from His presence, from His promised land that He gave to Him, because just like Adam and Eve, the people could not keep God's law, God's commands. So just like Adam and Eve, they had to be cast out of His presence. And one of these big central themes here is the presence of God is the blessing that we need. The presence of God is life. And without the presence of God, look what happened to Adam and Eve. Death becomes them. Look what happens to the nation of Israel. Death um, becomes the the nation, the people. The people, the wickedness, uh, will see and taste death. But this promise is that God will not let uh, His people suffer uh, in vain. He will work out His will. Of course, the good people are having to suffer right along with the bad people. But there is no way that man can achieve salvation without God's will doing His purpose. And of course, again, these um, references to the Holy One, the Redeemer, being Jesus Christ. Now we're coming to this section uh, that is that is looking towards the impact of all this, God's glory. And I have, to be honest, chapter 57 is one of the most fascinating, uh, I've, I've seen one of the most fascinating verses that I think I've seen in a long time. And it is verse 1 in chapter 57. Let me jump in, <clears throat> read it. Uh, we touched on it yesterday, but I would like to expand on this uh, verse And then we'll continue through uh, some of the high points of chapter 57. Verse 1, the righteous man perishes and no one lays it to heart. Devout men are taken away while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from calamity. He enters peace. They rest in their beds who walk in their uprightness. What is that What is that saying? I mean, when you hear that, <laughs> it's talking about death. And we've just gotten through talking about Christ's time on the cross and death itself. But look what happens about the righteous man. Now, the righteous man is and, and to be perfectly honest, when I read this, it blew my mind. And I even called up um, uh, one of our senior pastors, Gordon Ainsworth, over at our church and, and just had to verify. It is an m- amazing comfort about what's happening to someone who dies, who's walking upright in the Lord from the perspective of the lord now we have the perspective of the of man we have the perspective of those who are dying or those who are experiencing death or even those you know who are who are experiencing the fear of death like a cancer or a heart disease or a heart attack or a kidney failure or some terrible disease or some terrible stroke or the aging process where People are getting weaker and weaker and weaker, and every day seems like more of uh, a challenge just to do the regular activities of your daily life. How tragic is a car accident where somebody dies, or some type of trauma, or some other type of accident? Death is never easy. And look, a righteous man perishes and no one lays it to heart. No one cares or no one mourns over this person. And this is this is just like Jesus Christ died, right? But but a righteous man can do this and it's it, it's talking about other other people too. Of course in Jesus Christ we have the ability to attain righteousness. So when When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, God looks at us as righteous. Even the Apostle Paul, when we studied Galatians and Ephesians, he wrote to the people, to the saints. And as we've said before, you may not feel like a saint sometimes. You may not feel um, all that perfect. But in God's eyes, you're a saint. In God's eyes, you're righteous. Why? Because God is seeing this Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ in you. He's not seeing you. He's seeing Jesus Christ affect his impact. So when a righteous man perishes and no one lays it heart, no one cares, no one mourns, what is really happening here? And then he says, devout men are taken away while no one understands. So the people, they don't understand what's happening. They may be not mourning. Maybe they're not caring. Maybe they don't appreciate what's going on. But devout people are taken away. All the while, people around them don't really understand. Well, maybe you could say, well, they do understand because the person just died. And they're saying, oh, too bad for you. You know, you're dead and I'm still alive. And they think they have the last word or they think, you know. When you've ever when you've ever uh, been to a funeral and you look on someone maybe who's passed away, if you've ever done that. Or if you've ever seen someone who's passed away, you're looking at them with some type of. Critique. You're saying, "Well, they're dead. They don't look too bad, or maybe they uh, they look kind of unnatural, or this or that." Or you talk about their life, you talk about what they did, but you kind of sit there and sum up what who they are, and you think you're really understanding. God's saying, "This righteous man or the devout devout man are perishing." Okay, or maybe you think they've perished, or they've been taken away, but <clears throat> but all the while. You really don't understand what's happened. Because for the righteous man is taken away from calamity. He enters into peace. From God's perspective, it's so straightforward. It's so simple. This righteous man is taken away from calamity. The calamity of this earth. The calamity of whatever physical problem that they've been dealing with. From God's perspective, death is not that big a deal. They've, they're they just moved from, from this calamity and this chaos over to the peace that comes from God, the presence of God. That peace which eluded Adam and Eve, that peace which eluded the nation, the whole nation of Israel without Jesus Christ, that peace now is that peace which is available to all of us through Jesus Christ. John 14, 6 said, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's Jesus Christ's way. And this is His truth. He is the Word of God. Jesus was the personification of the Word of God. And He is the eternal life. So, although somebody tastes, looks at death and has to pass away and everybody's standing around thinks they understand but God says they really don't understand. You don't know what is going to happen when you die. You don't know. You think you can you think you do and you have faith that you might do or maybe you don't have faith cuz no one takes it to heart a lot of times. But I understand. And all it is is I'm just taking them away from the calamity around That around them, the suffering, the chaotic, or just that feeling of helplessness, loneliness, or dying with no one around them to mourn. Whatever it is that we're facing, God says, it's just a little calamity to me. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that comforting to you? It is to me. I've seen so many people go through so many um, physical problems, death itself, and it is never, never easy. But God says, from my perspective, it's easy. I'm just taking away from their calamity. I'm taking them out of a noisy room and putting them into a nicer room. They enter to peace. And they rest. They can rest in their beds. Who walk in their uprightness. So, if you're walking in uprightness, you can sleep well. You can rest. You can find peace. Your heart can find comfort. You don't have to worry. You don't have to have nightmares. You don't have to toss and turn. You can rest. Because God, God's hand is right there. Very, very powerful uh, uh, verse, verse 1 and 2. And it is contrasting Israel's idolatry. Look what we see in the rest of these verses. But you... Draw near, sons of the sorceress, offspring of the adulterer and loose women. Whom are you mocking? Against whom do you open your mouth wide and stick out your tongue? Are you not children of transgression, which means of sin, the offspring of deceit, which is lies? You who burn with lust among the oaks under every green tree, who slaughter your children in the valleys under the clefts of the rocks. Contrasting it to the wickedness of that generation who mock God, who try to draw near, but don't proclaim God's power. They cling to idols. They cling to anything they want to that makes sense to them rather than God's wisdom. They try to appear like they're holy, but on the inside they're burning with every type of lust for pleasures and things that are not of God and they slaughter their children, their own children. What kind of parents do that? Their sin, it could be a physical slaughter of their children, the valuelessness of life, Some of these kings would put their own children to death, try to look like they're pious, but at the same time, they're getting rid of any kid who might want to compete with them for their own power. Or, but look at the sins of the parents, what it? Why the impact has on the children. We see that play out in the whole nation of Israel as these children of these wicked parents all had to be taken into bondage. Meaning captivity in assyria in babylon verse 7 on a high and lofty mountain you've set your bed and there you went up to offer sacrifice so you put yourself up to be really high and pious and you think that that uh people are going to judge you right because you're going to walk up this great mountain you know to make your sacrifice Woo, wow look at me Verse 8, "...behind the door in the doorpost you set up your memorial for deserting me you have uncovered your bed." So in other words, but behind the door, the things you do in secret, that's your memorial. That's what I'm going to remember you by. Not this piousness of trying to climb the mountain to do this great deed. You have gone up to it. You have made it wide and you have made a covenant yourself with them. You have loved their bed And you have looked on nakedness. It's talking about the sin. The sins of man that occur behind the closed doors. Inside your own heart. God is saying, look, I am sovereign over all time. I am sovereign over all history. I am sovereign over all the nations. And I know what goes on in your own heart. I know what goes on behind closed doors. I know... I can look through all this sense of religious piety. All this sense that you try to make out like you're such a great religious person. Let's drop down real quick to verse 11. Whom did you dread and fear so that you lied and did not remember me? Did not lay it to heart. He's saying, you, you say that you are going to remember my ways. But you lied. You didn't tell the truth. And he's saying, what were you so scared of that you lied about knowing me? Verse 12, I will declare your righteousness in your deeds, but they will not profit you. In other words, God says, look, you don't have to declare yourself to be so religious. Leave that to me. I know... Who's righteous in their deeds? Okay? He's saying, you know, in verse 1 and 2, he says, I'm sovereign over your death to the point where I, can, I remove the righteous from their calamity and bring them into my peace. And then he's dealing with all the people who are trying to claim to be righteous. Verse 13, when you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. Oh, you think you're so good? Let your idols deliver you when, when you're in need or when you're getting ready to die. The wind will carry them all off. A breath will take them away. But he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. Okay? Take refuge in God. God's pleading. Verse 14, and it shall be said, Build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. Okay? Prepare the way. This is Jesus Christ said, I am the way. The truth and the life. This goes back to John, chapter fourteen, verse six. For um, now we're back in Isaiah fifteen. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. In other words, the Lord is saying. I am not about people who worship idols. I am not about the proud or the pride of man. I, have, I know that. I know your heart already. But I dwell with the meek and the lowly and those who admit their sins and those who turn away from their sins and follow my way. You try to lift your own self up? Well, let that save you. I am already lifted up. You know? He's saying, who do you fear more that you forget me? I'm already higher than anything you have. Verse 16. I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the Spirit would grow faint before me in the breath of life that I have made. I can't I can't punish you forever or you'll or you'll fade away but I have to I have to discipline those children that I love because of the iniquity that's because of the sin of his unjust gain I was angry I struck him and hid my face and was angry but he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart this is the sin nature of Israel the sin nature of man the sin nature of the wicked who will not repent from their sins i have seen his ways but i will heal him i will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners so that the we're again we're circling back to the man <clears throat> all men are sinners but those who are lowly in spirit contrite in heart who repent who turn away from their ways and follow God's ways, God says, I will heal him. Now, this healing can be healing from adversity, but it's also a spiritual healing, healing from that sinful nature, healing from the death sentence that sin gives us, so that in that sense, we are healed from the death sentence of, of sin itself. And restore comfort to him and his mourners. Creating the fruit of the lips. What are the fruit of the lips? Peace, peace. To the far and to the near, says the Lord. God is the, Jesus Christ is the presence of God's peace here on earth. Jesus Christ allows us to be redeemed of our sins. And be finally in the presence of God. Now, right now, it's spiritual because God's presence is the Holy Spirit living in us. God resides in us. There's no more tabernacle, no more temple. God says, now, I'm going to live in you. That's through Jesus Christ. So, Isaiah is giving us this insight into the prophecy of the gospel message from the perspective of God. These are God's thoughts. These are God's um, reasonings. This is what the gospel message does. This is from the perspective of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And it shows that Isaiah is an international prophet. He's talking about those far and near. Jew and Gentile. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And its waters toss up... mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God for the wicked. The wicked are just like the sea. They'll never rest. This is a law of the Bible, that the wicked will not have peace. Now, they may make peace treaties, and they may think they're going to do something for the purpose of peace. But without God, God says, from God's perspective, there can no, not be peace. Chapter 58, cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgressions. He's saying, expose this hypocrisy to the house of Jacob, their sins, yet they seek me daily. And delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. In other words, they try to take the form of religion, but they really don't know me. How about that today? How many of us see people or, or feel like well, you go to church or you go try to worship, but it's all about letting other people see you worship or, w- or what you're wearing or the click that you like to hang out with. You take the form of religion, but you're not going to church with the humility in your heart and putting God-centered in your heart. How many people are in church worried about the football game later that day? Or how many people are going to church having arguments with your husband or with your wife? Or how many people are going to church... um, addicted to so many sins, to pornography, to alcohol, to to um, to lying, or all these other things. God's already saying He knows that. He's sovereign over that. But they seek me daily. Verse 3, why... And this is sort of the people talking... Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? You know, these are people complaining. You know, look at the things that we did and we don't get credit for it. Then God says through Isaiah, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. So in other words, in the day of your fast, you're really not trying to seek the objective of the fast people are boasting of their own fasting they want to be seen and to get credit god says i'm not about the boastfulness why because boasting is one of the it it reveals one of the emotions god hates most it's pride pride disrupts the heart being able to be centered on christ Pride puts man above God. Pride lets you be self-centered rather than God-centered. So big, big things about um, idols, how God hates idols, a big, big thing about God hates pride. God hates conceited people. God hates hypocrites so bad. So we've seen a lot from God's perspective. But we've also seen, I think, and to circle back, we've seen one of the most amazing verses about death itself. The righteous have this unbelievable, eternal comfort that God gives for those who are walking in righteousness, who are following in His ways, who are a humble-hearted people who are not hypocritical who do not put idols above God who have what what we've been saying over and over a Christ-centered heart you're not looking to the right you're not looking to the left you're keeping your heart centered on Christ if your heart is centered on Christ or God-centered God sees you as righteous now of course Without Jesus Christ, we don't have that ability. you know. Yet, Isaiah is prophesying uh, about this. It's still in the Old Testament. The only thing they had was the law. And God was, had the ability to judge hearts at that time. But he is referencing the gospel message all over the place here. He is referencing his desire to save his people. <clears throat> if they would just turn to him. But we have this eternal comfort to the point of our own death. We have this eternal comfort that even if you pass away and there's a bunch of people standing around who don't even take it to their own heart, who don't even mourn, who who don't care. What a, what a terrible thing that would be. Uh, what a terrible thing when you pass away. When you think about it, it's it's either going to be like out somewhere in some field and nobody's around or it might be in some hospital room <clears throat> with a bunch of people you know helping you who don't really know you that well maybe it's a nurse or maybe it's an attendant maybe it's somebody working at the hospital or maybe you pass away in some nursing home somewhere but all the family that you used to know and love that maybe they're not there or maybe they or maybe they're not alive anymore, or maybe your own family who knew you aren't alive anymore. Maybe you're, you know of course your mother and father who knew you, maybe they're not alive anymore. But you're passing away from this life and all the people and all the wonderful things that you did. Nobody remembers. Maybe you are lucky enough to pass away uh, among your family, maybe in a hospice care, or a hospice situation. no matter what those around you whether they know you or don't know you they don't understand because they haven't crossed from life to death they are not sovereign over death and the lord says i am sovereign over death and those people standing around you watching you die or looking at your mate looking at your corpse, looking at... They're the ones that are left behind. They don't understand. And the Lord says, I'm just removing this righteous man from his calamity and bringing him into my peace. That's my presence. And that's it. The presence of God What a wonderful and comforting verse we see that we don't have to fear even death itself because of the promise that God has made and the gift He has given us in Jesus Christ. He's already opened the door so that although we don't understand everything, we have the comfort of knowing Jesus Christ has walked through the door and He gives us His peace. And He gives us His reassurance that we won't walk through that door alone. He will walk through with us. We will share with Him. He will share with us our death and allow us to share with Him His eternal life. So I hope this was helpful uh, to you and encouraging. It was just beautiful to, to me. It was, obviously, this was one of my favorite new favorite sections. Um, now I'll turn the rest of the podcast over to my co-host in Zambia, Matali. Hey, Matali, I hope you're doing great. And um, we appreciate all of you who are listening along with us. Feel free, as we said before, to drop us a line anytime. We're on Twitter, and uh, you can send us a, um, a text or a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you. Um, so that we may pray for you, or you can let us know what you're thinking as you're reading these verses as well. So Matali, take it away from Zambia, and we'll look forward to hearing what your study shows as well. Take care, and we'll see you tomorrow.
1: Good morning. So today's teaching begins at Isaiah chapter 57, verses 6, all the way to verse 21, to Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 to verse 3. So here in chapter 57, we see the end um, of the last section where we have the salvation of Jehovah. So first there was the comfort of Jehovah, which comes through the servants. So that was chapter 48 to chapter 40, sorry, chapter 40 to chapter 48. And now we have the salvation of Jehovah, which comes through the suffering servant, which is our Savior Christ. And that was chapters forty nine to chapter fifty seven. So here we're in the section of the, um, of um the salvation of Jehovah, which comes through the suffering servant. Which is right now we are in chapter fifty seven. So uh, last we see the glory of Jehovah, which comes through the suffering servant, and it comes. To the end of the age, which means comfort for the righteous and condemnation for the wicked. So the righteous shall have peace in their hearts. Um, If death comes to him whilst, you know, in bed, whilst here on earth, that's the righteous person, he or she is removed from the great tribulation and is taken into the presence of Christ. So we begin at Isaiah chapter 57, verse 5, which reads, Inflaming yourselves with gods and inflaming yourselves with gods under the green tree, slaying the children of the valleys under the clefts of the rock. So, here the wicked are depicted. So, this is a picture of the wicked and what is currently going on, and you know what they were actually doing. And this is in the nation Israel, like what they were doing. And you know, we see this today. So, the wicked in the last days will be idolaters they'll be covetous um so this is how we'll be able to tell like we are in the last days because people will actually idolize worldly things they will put worldly things in place of gods uh, in place of god and um verse six goes on to read among the smooth stones of the stream is your portion they they are Your lot, even to them, you have poured a drink offering, you have offered a grain offering. Should I receive comfort in these? So, here the wicked worship everything and anything on earth, and this is uh the picture that you had that we had, like that we had, we have of um Israel, and this is what's going on today, present day. You know, the wicked worship everything except for the living God, you know, they'll worship money, they'll worship even the pebble. Um, as here scripture has is, is, is stating in um in verse six of fifty seven which says among the smooth stones of the stream is your portion, so these you know they will worship anything but the living God. so verse seven goes on to read, on a lofty and high mountain, you have set your bed, even there you went up to offer sacrifice. so here you know idolatry um, is associated with the graves on top of a mountain. So um the, the, the mountain tops give scenes of um you know a vile immorality so it's a picture of the last days. You know they have set up um altars of idols uh and they're worshipping God they're worshipping everything else but the living God. Verse 8 goes on to read also behind the doors and their posts you have set up your remembrance for you have uncovered yourselves to those other than me and have gone up to them. You have enlarged your bed and made a covenant with them. You have loved their bed where you saw their nudity. So here, verse 8, Um, this is um the sin in the past. You know, if you look at how people sinned in the past, you know, the sin in the past, was done in secret but nowadays um, it's not in secret you actually find people um, you know living in sin or boasting about sin and you know they have a justification for it and um, you know today people you know sin people flaunt themselves out there because you know people are uh, liberated Um, you know you find a lot of um, say for example people decide to get married, like same-sex same marriage, and they decide to say no because I have rights or I was born this way. And, you know, sin is just flaunted around every day. We see it on TV. You know, man used to be ashamed of their sins in the past. Now, you know, they are flaunting it around. Sin today has become a way of life, which is just sad. So now we get to the second division of this section. And uh, from verse 15 to verse 20 from to verse 19 there's comfort for the righteous and from verse 20 to 21 there's condemnation for the wicked so at verse 15 it reads thus says the lord um the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity whose name is holy i dwell in the high and holy places with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirits of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So here, God will comfort his own. This is what the scripture is actually talking about. So in the last days, because of who he is. So he is a uh, God of eternity, and man is feeble and fickle, and um, he protects his own, and takes them under his own wing, you know, like a like a mother hen takes her own brood of chickens under her wing, and God is going to take his own Those people with a contrite spirit and those people who are are humble in the last days, God will comfort and protect his own. So verse 16 and 17 goes on to read, For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the spirit would fail before me and the souls which I have made. So God here is saying he's not going to be angry forever. He's not going to um, contend forever. Um, You know, there will be a time... When judgment day will come and God will take his own. Um, God will take the righteous. So, wrapping down to verse 17, it reads, For the iniquity of his covetousness, I was angry and struck them. I hid and was angry. And he went on backsliding in the way of his heart. So here, God explains why he punishes the wicked. The wicked are idolatrous, that's covetousness, and they rebel against God, and God has to stop this. So a time is going to come when all this God will put an end to. Verse 18 goes on to read, I have seen his ways and will heal him. I will also lead him and restore comforts to him and his mourners. So here, you know, for those who forsake, The evil ways and, you know, wickedness, he will heal and save. This is what he's saying. He will save them because God is full of mercy and God is gracious. So, you know, it's a call. God's stretched out his, 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 um, his bearing out his arm, his, his, his arm to us. And he's calling people to turn away from their wickedness. Verse 19 goes on to read. I create the fruit of the lips, peace, peace. Peace to him who is far off, and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him so here um you know God alone can speak peace to the heart of the sinner, you know the world today um you know there is no peace, and you know, as Dr. J v McGee put it, um if someone should say, uh we can actually find peace without God, they contradict scripture and you know. Scripture won't be contradicted. Man has failed. Man is a colossal failure, and man has failed. You no, know, there's so many organizations that have been put up—Peace Corps, uh, you know, the United Nations—but there's still war around that's going on, and only God can speak peace to the heart of a sinner. And we are all sinners, and we fall short of the glory of God. And then in verse 21 and 20 and 21, it reads: "But the wicked are like." the troubled sea when it cannot rest whose waters cast up mire and dirt there is no peace says the lord for the wicked so here the wicked are like the troubled sea it cannot rest so it's a picture of the wicked you know when the sea is roaring and raging um it's troubled and this is the picture he is given of the wicked so If the world can have peace today without God, then, you know, you and I, or you and I, yes, contradict the word of God. But, you know, the wicked, uh, you know, there is no peace for the wicked. Uh, Only God can speak peace and only God can bring peace. So here we move on to chapter 58. And in this chapter, um, it looks at the glory of the kingdom. So this is the last division of Isaiah and the glory of Jehovah, which comes through the suffering servant. So this particular chapter looks at the, you know, outward religious forms and inward wicked ways. And this is what delays the grace of and glory of God. And this today um, is what's hurting um, the cause of Christ today. So men with, um, you know, church membership, religious men and, um, you know, th- who, who go about, uh, you know, they are religious, they are pious, they, they, they have, you know, church membership, but they are dishonest in business they are unfaithful to their wives and families. And, um, they think, um, they are good enough to reach God's standard when they are not. And this is what's delaying, um, the, the grace and glory of God today. So, um. You know, it gives us an explanation why the glory of God was withheld by, um, for the people of Israel, the nation Israel. So the people were um, cynical and their relationship to God, you know, they were cynical with their relationship to God because they were thinking, oh, hey, I can be religious, I can act all, you know, with this outward uh, religious and piousness, but their hearts were actually really, really wicked. You know, you find this, this is a man of God who's cursing like a sailor. Um, this is a man of God who's, you know, uh, has got unethical business deals. Who's unfaithful to his family, and um, so uh, the people were cynical in their relationship to God, and they were observing forms uh, of religion, and they questioned the the, um, you know, they they questioned the actions of God towards them. So um, this is the same spirit that. Um, was manifested after the the Babylonian um, captivity. You know, wicked man's heart is. You know, a wicked man's heart is far from God, and um, the spirit of man with an it's it's like it shows the spirit of man with an outward um, show of religion. His heart is far from God, and um, his way is very wicked. So here we have from verse one to verse three, the exposure of the wicked ways of Israel. People today actually think they are clever. Like, you do actually see this a lot. People think they are clever. You know, they have this religious outward look and they follow all these um, rituals and, you know, formal religion. But, you know, deep down, they just, they're just wicked people. You know, they, they just, they have, um, they commit adultery. They, you know, they, their businesses are not straightforward. Um, they, they commit a lot of injustices towards um, undeserving people. And, you know, which is just sad, but, you know, every Sunday morning they wake up and go to church and, you know, they, they read scripture and, you know, the elders in, in, in the church, in church, they belong to, um, different committee groups in church. Like, oh, Hey, we're trying to build this and that for the church. And, you know, they're the first people to volunteer, but you know, they just, they have this outward religious piousness, outward religiousness. They're very churchy, but they're just wicked. So verse 1 of chapter 58 reads, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. So here the prophet is um, commanded by God to cry out a message to point out the transgressions and sins of the people who think they are very religious. So here only a brave man, a very brave man will actually do it because today, you know, you people want to please people. And today, you know, we have this liberal problem and that's what's happening today. And there is a failure to tell natural man of his transgressions because people are too scared. Um, you know, you find pastors today in churches are too scared to tell, to point out people's transgressions because maybe you find the biggest donor to the church is, um, is an adulterous man. And they can't point that out. The preacher can't point that out. You find their best buddies, they're in the same bed with the the, the preacher. They are best buddies with the preacher. And the preacher can't point it out. So it takes a very brave man to actually do that. And God commanded the prophets to actually do that for the people. So that's the liberal problem we have today. The failure to tell natural man of his transgressions. And God tells us just like it is. And he wants us to tell man um, of his suffering and his transgressions uh, from a fatal Uh, that man is suffering from a fatal disease, sin, which, you know, will plunge them into a lost eternity. Because, you know, we are all commanded by God to go out there and sow the seed. And if something is wrong, something is wrong. Tell it as it is instead of letting a man, you know, uh, plunge into the lost eternity. Verse 2 of chapter 58 goes on to read, Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching God. So here, people, here you find um, scripture saying, the people were complaining that God has not um, taken notice of their fasting and inflictions, you know, because their hearts are far from God. And, um, you know, fasting was an outward expression of the soul. Fasting is an outward expression of the soul, if I stand corrected and um it's a practice between you know you and god it's a practice between me and god it was a practice between them and god but you know they made it um you know into a boasting spectacle and you know a religious form for the public you know for public show and the lord condemned them um for abusing it and you know i like the example that dr jv McGee gave you know like um do you go out there to the public, especially like for the married people or your know, married couples, you go out there and, you know, just announce everything that's um, that's in your marriage, you know? my relationship with God is a marriage and, you know, it's supposed to be private and secret and fasting is not something I'm supposed to go out there and, you know, make a boasting spectacle. All were like, oh, hey, I'm fasting. Like, I'm, I'm very strong in faith and all. I do not have to prove it to anybody. You know, just like in Matthew 6, verse 16, God had actually pointed out, um, let me just go there. So Matthew six sixteen reads, Moreover, when you fast... Do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting assuredly I say to you they have their reward so I'll just read verse 17 as well but you when you fast anoint your head and wash your face um verse 18 so do not so that you do not appear to man to be fasting but to your father who is in the secret place and Your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So, you know, because man seeks, you know, reward from men, they will get reward from men because they want to be seen by, by, by men. That's their fasting. Man will actually see them. And, you know, the reward they, they, they seem, they are seen, the reward that they're getting is they're seen by God or is they're seen by man. And. You know they go around like, "Oh hey, why do you look so sad? Oh no, because I'm fasting, and all you want to be seen by man, man will see you, and that's the reward you get, but you know here God has put it in scripture, you know, you know when you're fast- when you're fasting, anoint your head and wash your face, you know, do not show this sad countenance and 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 um and, uh, you know, disfigure your face to, sh- to show man. So religion is a personal relationship with Christ and it should be secret and precious. We should treasure it and value it because it's, it's, it's that secret thing. It's, it's a secret personal relationship. And today we need religion and not ritual. You know, you find today a lot of churches go through rituals meticulously. They follow things by the T and, you know, they do all these things. But, you know, they forget um, the whole point and purpose of religion. You know, they look at religion as, you know, following the rituals when they actually don't understand it. You know, so fasting is an outward expression of the soul. So religion should also be that relationship um, with my God. It should be a secret between me and my God. Yes, God has commanded us to go out there and uh, be fishers of men and sow the seed and, um, you know, preach his word. Uh, But the relationship that I have with my God should be um, secret and guarded and, you know, it should be precious. So, yeah, this is today's teaching. Thank you all for listening in. Uh, God bless and have a pleasant day. Bye-bye.